Dominic, how are you? I'm good, Darren. How are you? How are you enjoying not seeing my face? It's I I I, I can't lie to you, Darren. <laughs> um, I'm not enjoying it. So we've been we collectively have been extra so 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 socially <laughs> responsible tonight, and uh, Dom has stayed at his place, and I've stayed in my place. We're only a, a kilometer down the road from each other, <clears throat> but. You got to yep. do what you got to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think like it's kind of last week's episode is still ringing for me a bit. Dom, how about you? Like that? That's some pretty confronting but honest stuff. And I think <sighs> I've been dealing with uh, with that during the week, and it, both positively and negatively at times, and kind of just grappling with how we all get through it. Yeah, I, I think um, just for the benefit of anybody who hasn't heard it, uh, last week's episode was with an interview with Cameron Mather, a banjo player from Sydney. And uh, we touch on a lot of really uh, personal things for all of us about um, isolation and uh, the current situation that we're all in and, you know, the possible impacts of it. And um, one of the things that I I find interesting when I, if I think about the last week since that episode's gone out, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like, it's like the, um, the conversation is a series of really useful, uh, it's like a little thing that I kind of refer to in my head as I'm sort of, um, God, I can't, I, what am I trying to say here? It's not, it's not like a book, but it's. I feel like last week's episode, the conversation in particular that we had um, in the first half about social isolation is just a really valuable contribution to different ways of thinking about it I suppose for me and so I I sort of bounce back to it as I'm just going through my day you know I feel like parts of it are sort of resonating with me every day and so I I find that really um, I find that really beneficial and I'm really grateful to Cameron for being so open and being willing to have a chat with us about it and so yeah uh, I think it's definitely a good kick in the bum to check in and be honest with your with your mental health because I think there's there's two things going on is checking in with your mental health and then there's the acknowledging it and Cameron if you if you do listen to this or hopefully you are listening being up front and talking about it definitely has uh yeah had the effect on Dom you just mentioned it's had the effect on me where I've been checking in with myself quite a lot just to make sure we're, I'm on the right track yeah and and um, the feedback from listeners has been has been really really positive so um, so that so that's great so 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 that's kind of where I've been at this week and I'm really looking forward to this week's episode which is uh, an interview with Dara O'Haley who's a pipe player out of Drogheda Darren's hometown as you'll all know <laughs> uh, how you pronounce this say it again Drogheda uh. So many K's. I, you know, I wanted to correct Dara on his own pronunciation of it, but I felt like I should just let it go. <laughs> From Drada. <laughs> Come here, would you? Um, so, so anyway, th- th- that's th- that's this week's episode, and it's um, it's a cracker. So, yeah, it's coming up. Um, look, there was one thing at the at the start that uh, Dara went to a bit of explanation about what it is, but I had to kind of. I just wanted to preface because I think I delivered it incompletely. He has a uh, online digital download, uh, digital streaming service called Kyol FM, which is cracker. And Daryl will explain more what it is. But uh, what I was trying to get at is that it's really like a Spotify, more intense, more intuitive and uh, curative 
version of Spotify just for uh, traditional tunes, and it's a, a radio station. So uh, look, I'm going to do the call at the beginning this week. We've been putting it at the end. We're just going to put it here because uh, I know everyone's uh, doing it rough, and we're, we're trying to keep the podcast going. Uh, as I mentioned last week, and I'll probably will say it more often, is the podcast is always going to be free. It's always going to be uh, cost money to make it. So we're always going to need patrons. So if you are in a position to to support us and to be a patron of ours, please do and head over to patreon.com forward slash Pilani Pilgrims. Um, outside of that, I think we're, we're good to get into it. What do you reckon? Yeah, let's go for it. Enjoy. Okay. I'm just going to check that level one second. Got to change everything for a Thanks so much for being on the podcast. How are you going? I'm going great. And you? Doing very well. So what what did we just hear? I, I, uh, I don't know. That's a good, really good question. <laughs> Maybe one of your listeners could answer that. That brings me, I reckon that, that kind of just sums up what we had been speaking about on the phone the other day. And you said, uh, like, I don't get overly academic with the music. I mean, I, I love playing. I love the tunes, but... The music is what the music is. <laughs> yeah, and I, I bring it to, to to a really bad extent, you know, because I just, I think the first one was the Mary Blacksmith, or the second was the Mary Blacksmith. I, I am absolutely awful with names, so I do apologize to anybody listening who wants to know names of these tunes. What I suggest you do is hold your phone up to the speaker that you're listening to this, use TunePal and figure it out. That's probably what I should have done before I played, but I never know what I'm going to play before I start playing, so... Yeah, I've only I only found out about TunePal the other day. That that definitely seems like something I'm going to need to get into pretty pretty heavily. Do you use it a lot? 
it's an amazing tool. So, so just for the uninitiated, Chunpal being the uh, what? What does Chunpal do? <laughs> Chunpal, you hold it up to a, somebody who's playing a tune or a speaker, and it will give you an idea of the name. So it'll say, "I'm ninety percent sure that this is the name of that tune," and then it, it can also potentially look up other sources of information and say, "This is the name, and this is also the notes of that tune." So it's like it's it's, it's like Shazam, but for traditional tunes right yeah yeah well i think i'm going to just jump straight to then another analogy so um dara you run uh, kyol fm you're the creator and you and you run kyol fm could you tell us a bit about that so kyol fm is I'll, I'll tell you why i set it up first of all and that will explain what it is i have an awful lot of music and i was constantly getting messages on my phone saying out of space you can't do this because you've far too much music so I wanted a centralized location where I could have all my music and listen to it no matter where I was uh, at any time of the day or night. And on a Thursday afternoon, I said, I was walking the dog uh, during work and I said on Facebook, if anybody is interested in this, if I get about 100 likes to this post, sure, I'll set it up. What well, you know, why not? And by five o'clock, I put that post up around two o'clock. By five o'clock that evening, I had nearly 500 people liking it. Uh, just under 500 people liking it. So I said, God, I really better do this. Uh, and it went from strength to strength. Two weeks later, I had the service running um, in Azure, Microsoft Azure on that cloud platform. And uh, within a few weeks, it had about a 1,000 listeners a week. And then suddenly it jumped from a 1,000 listeners to a week, a week to 12,000 listeners a week. Uh, all with very little promotion or anything like that it just kind of really took off um i i actually put up a post there last week in relation to how many people are listening from each country and and it's just staggering i do nothing to promote this and it just keeps working so you tune in any time of the day or night and you listen to the music that you want so for example uh, on the free tier you can say i'm i'm feeling energetic today i want some energetic music uh or i'm feeling a bit somber and i want some soothing music and one of the reasons why I set that up is a friend of mine, his daughter was in the hospital and she loves the harp. And to get her asleep each evening, they wanted to hear slow harp music. And he said to me while I was setting up Kyol FM, where can I buy CDs of loads of harp music? And I said, well, actually, I have great music from Leisha Kelly and uh, Elaine Hogan and stuff that would re really be suitable for that. So I made a, a soothing stream and it just kind of ballooned from there. So the music that you put on there, Dara, is that is that just like did it just start with the CDs you have at at home, and and now it's a case where people, as soon as they release, they're sending you the stuff for you to upload and and maintain the the station. Absolutely, places like Redbox Studio, uh, there in the north of of Ireland and Belfast, um, they're great for sending me stuff. Uh, I have people in Cork who send me stuff as well from, from you know. Absolutely. But I prefer as well to try and buy some of this stuff uh, from the money that's uh, mm. obtained from Kyol FM so that I can support the artists as well. So there is a combination of stuff that, that I buy from Kyol FM or for Kyol FM uh, and stuff that's just given for promotional purposes as well. And where, like, where in the world get, are you getting hammered from? Like, where, is, it, is it mostly Irish listeners? Is it America, Australia? Very where is few. it coming from? Very few Irish listeners, actually. We had a bit... We only had 211 uh, Irish listeners last week, 
but we had over 6,000 from America. We had two from Japan. We had six from Australia. Um, we had, I think, four, was it five from New Zealand? Uh, Russia is one as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Poland, uh, Lithuania, um, Holland as well, Germany, France. England is also a, is a big listener too. There's about 4,000 people from listening from, listening from, from England. There's All right, just... Well, hey- Thousands. Here's the question, Dara, because that's like that's exactly what what we see with, with our numbers. Like, even the, the the amounts of people you're talking about are pretty similar to our listenership each week. But it is like Ireland's number six or seven down the list in in popularity. It's Australia, America, England, as you say. So I've got my theories on it. But why do you think that's the case? I think Irish music has been spread far and wide and our diaspora has spread wide far and wide as well i know some of the people who are listening in japan for example uh every week i i know who they are i can nearly tell you who they are at this stage uh because they've been in contact they've come over to me during festivals they they're japanese people but they come to ireland every year for an estrad fest for flanua for flakyo uh for the trilly festival for temple bar trad they come to all of these festivals, and then when they're not in Ireland, they listen to Kyol FM and and your podcast as well, as well as others to just keep connected. And I I think I I just love that it gives me great energy. Yeah, uh, like for me, I kind of I wonder if it's part of uh, like so like you're from Drogheda and I'm from Drogheda and I grew up in in Drogheda and like listeners of the podcast will know this, but I I just didn't pay attention to the trap music that was around when I was at home, and then. I don't know. You move, you move overseas, or you just grow older. Isn't um, yeah? Isn't that funny when you go on holiday as well? I, I think I've heard people saying this to you as well uh, on on other episodes of the podcast. When you go away on holiday, you're more inclined to try and speak a few couple of couple of vocal, uh, just to just to remind you of of home. So I think there is certainly a bit of that. It's it's why you know Gaelic games have been have had an emergence in Australia and other countries as well. It's just people want to be connected. They want to feel connected mm. to where they're, where they're from. So, Dar, when you were putting this together, was it um, you're taking care of the back end yourself? Is that is that your general line of work? Yeah, my line of work is I am the senior system administrator in Dublin City University. Uh, so that keeps me busy mostly, uh, and certainly is keeping me busy at the moment. So I I set up the server, um, and then I, I for for technical people I used a an open source streamer called Icecast. But then in this new version of Kyol FM, I wrote all of the software myself from scratch, from the, from the ground up, uh, using .NET Core. Now going to .NET Core 3.1. 3.1. So I wrote all the software this time myself as well. It took me nearly a year to write all the software for. Um, I released it, actually, I re- released the latest version of Kyol FM around this time last year. So it's kind of the one-year anniversary of the of the latest version. And uh, what was um, motivating you to, to write your own rather than go with the... Uh... The sort of out of the box version because what i wanted to do was give people a real compelling experience that was specific and unique to traditional irish music right so for example when you're a subscriber to kyol fm you can go into a filter and you can say i want to hear slow tunes played on the accordion or i want to hear slow tunes played on the accordion and the guitar or I want to hear slow song or energetic songs that feature the flute. You know, you have an amazing amount of power and versatility in the filtering system. 
you know, so you could say on a, on a Monday morning, God, I really need something energetic and I'm just going to pick the energetic box and see what comes, songs or tunes or whatever. Or you could say, like I do on a Monday morning, I want energetic stuff, but I don't necessarily want to hear songs because if I hear songs, I might dwell on the words too much. So I'm going to say I want energetic and tunes and work away after that. I don't care what instrument it is. Yeah, to be honest, I, I'd, I'd heard about Call FM and sorry, I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't go deep enough to to know about that. And it's only in the last week since I've, I've I knew I was going to be having a chat with you that I kind of went, oh, I must actually like it's been ages on the kind of a should do list to look into it. And that feature blew me away. Like that's just yeah, yeah, no that's such a because I I'm a I'm a Spotify like I can Spotify, and Spotify is really hard when it comes to tunes. But you can't like the filter system, and the recommendation feels like that algorithm sucks. I just it kills me. Well, you see, it's for popular music. If you listen to popular music on on Spotify, it is absolutely geared up to that. And you know your your top twenty every week is going to be refreshed and all of this kind of stuff. But that's not really the same as as in Kyol FM. And also, when in, in Kyol FM, when you've when you've found something you like create a playlist for it like I, I i i go through moods where I, I like different types of music at the moment i'm loving talisk fourth moon um you know groups like that so i have a, a playlist that i've called uh, april 2020 and that that has my april 2020 kind of uh, list on it you know so create the stuff that you want or find the stuff that you want then then store it so that you can get back to it. so it's not it's about finding new music and then listening to the stuff that you really enjoy as well is it fairly intensive um, upkeep on it? Yes and no. Um, up, I, I, because I wrote the interface for myself to use, I have it really automated and really kind of just streamlined. Um, the upkeep of the server, I also have quite automated as well. You know, I'm in 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 system administration worlds if if you're or areas if you're not automating you're failing basically so i i try and automate as much of it as i can and then every so often every yeah. 3 or 4 days i'll go in and take a look and make sure everything is okay yeah right um when you see for me i kind of I, I there's a bit of a learning curve that I'll, hopefully you can take me on so you're visually impaired right i'm blind yeah yeah right and then so, so like i'm completely um uh, I lost here because I don't know how. Like, how, how do you work in computers? Are you full, full, like fully blind? How does that? Yeah, work? yeah. So right, I'll explain. Uh, and there's no question that. Sorry for fumbling over that, Dara. Just uh, uh, yeah. and there's there, and there's no question at all that that's insulting. Okay, or or I, I am not a politically correct person either, so don't worry about it. Um, I'm most likely to say something that's offending somebody else more. So, <laughs> so uh, I use synthesized speech. And what happens is the relevant or highlighted parts of the user interface are spoken using synthesized speech. So let's say I'm in Notepad, the easiest application in the world, and I press Alt and F to go to the file menu. Then it will read open, new, close, exit, all of that kind of stuff. Or if I press Alt V for view, uh, I, I'll know that I'm in the view menu and I can go down there. I can also explore the menus by just pressing Alt. So I've, I do everything that you do on a computer, except I use the keyboard exclusively. Well, almost exclusively. Sometimes I can use the mouse if I'm kind of stuck or something that's bothering me. Um, when I'm coding, then I also have a braille display. Braille displays are seriously expensive, though. But uh, I have a braille display here at home. Um, it just it's only forty cells. So what what that does it shows me forty cells of braille or forty letters uh, at any one time. So if I'm reading stuff and for coding, then that's kind of handy too. So 
but primarily I would use synthesized speech. Now, most computers, phones and tablets and so on these days come with a screen reader. Now, on Windows, I, I have a much more powerful one than it comes with by default. But on the phone, if you look in your, and if you're using an iPhone, you look for voiceover. If you're using an Android phone, look for talkback. Mm -hmm. And uh, th that will actually start speaking the screen to you. So accessibility and usability and equal access has really become the norm in 2020. Um, you know, I remember in when I got my first computer in 94, uh, it, you know, you needed to buy a, a very expensive hardware synthesizer and very expensive software. And you had to buy the most powerful computer to run all this stuff. So, you know, it, it has become much more accessible, much more attainable now than it was. Yeah, I'm a um, I'm a advertising copywriter for a living, and I'm I'm really badly dyslexic, so I actually I use the um the, the text to speech all all the time on my computer because I, I write freely, and then I go back and I let the computer read it back to me, so I can hear how poorly I've sp I've spelt things. So if the red line doesn't save me, it's usually the <laughs> yeah yeah. So you you're using that kind of assistive stuff. It's that and that's the idea of equal access. Make it make it accessible to absolutely everybody. And no matter what you can or can't do, you will be able to do what you need to get done. Yeah. So then, where did you go to school there? I went to school in Dublin, which uh, is partially why I have a, have a less than a hard Strahda accent. But yeah, I went. I went to school in Dublin. That was a specialised school for the the blind, which fortunately no longer is is really needed. Most people who are blind can integrate quite easily into me. Yeah. What what school was that? Uh, it was called St. Joseph's at the time. Now it's called Child Vision. Okay. Is that the school that um, Catherine McAvoy teaches at? And yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, we caught up with Catherine a, a few weeks ago and um, spoke a little bit around that. And I, I think I probably knew that too because of the um, the Blind Tradition. Is that the name of the CD that was put out uh, yeah. a couple of years ago? Yeah. Was that a, was that a fairly positive experience for you? The blind tradition? No, 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 school. sorry, the school. Oh, no. Uh, I absolutely hated and detested and loathed and despised every minute of it. Right. Why? <laughs> That's a very strong answer, <laughs> no. Uh, why? Because, um, I, so Drogheda is a really inclusive place. Uh, Drogheda is really, and people might find this really unusual, but, you know, I could jump on a bike here in Drogheda and people would just go ah well Dara how's it going not that I would jump on a bike because I'd probably either injure myself or somebody else <laughs> but you know Drogheda doesn't care they don't really and this is really generalistic but they don't really have that kind of same stereotypical approach to disability so when I went to Dublin I was coming from Drogheda which kind of would you know didn't really interact with it in the same way and then suddenly I was put into this situation where uh the narrative in that school was, was us and them. Uh, for example, when you were going through secondary school, there was this constant message of when you get to the real world, when you get to the outside wor world, it was very sheltered, very institutionalized. That This is from my opinion. Uh, other people may disagree, but from my perspective, it was very us and them, very sheltered. Even you know when I left in 2000 around that time, it was still very sheltered. And I, I always hated that. Uh, I hated the lack of freedom. Uh, I hated that lack of individuality that came from that place. And again, that's just my experience of it. Others may not agree or may not share that experience. And were you were you boarding there or how did it work? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I went there every week. So from the age of five, I was there every week until I left 
when I was 18. Yeah, 18 I left. Wow, that's 13 years. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's pretty full on. In the one, yeah, in, in the I, one I, institution that you're that you're really not yeah, liking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I I look back, and my parents did the right thing. There's no doubt about it. But I look back on it, and I think, especially with my own daughter now, you know, she's she's six now, and I'm kind of going, wow, it must have taken so much sacrifice and self control for for parents to send away their first son, their first first child. To Dublin every week, knowing that he hated it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it was a different time. It was a different time, and I'm delighted now that people uh, who who can't see no longer have that requirement. Yeah, and um, did you talk to your folks about it at the time or afterwards? Oh yeah, yeah, we've had very open conversations about it. Right, uh, where where we've said, look, I, you know, there, there was no choice. I I have no no issue with the decisions they made because there was simply no choice. Yeah. They did try, they sent me to Skalingasa here in Drada for a while, but uh, Skalingasa just couldn't handle, you know, how do we teach a child that can't see how to read and write? You know, they had no braille skills or anything like that. So it was just an inevitable decision that had to be made, but they did try. Uh, so it certainly isn't some, isn't a failing on their part. No. <laughs> From someone that... <laughs> That did go to school and draw it, uh, like where it was savage, man. Careful, Darren. Was, Careful. Was, it, there was there was rough moments, <laughs> and yeah, I, yeah, I'm sure. But but count yourself lucky in a way, though, that you experienced those rough, rough mm. moments. A lot of people that you've spoken to uh, from Drada have great stories that you have been able to share in because you and them are from Drada and have have had that that shared experience. Uh, my experience of that 13 year period is so drastically different that it leads me at a not a, no longer a social disadvantage it certainly did when I was younger it left me at a social disadvantage but it's yeah it was certainly something that that bugged me for quite a while that I didn't have that kind of shared experience so be fortunate that although it was rough you still had that uh, you could share the stories of that roughness years later no I guess so that. Sorry, going down. No, I get that. There, I was just going to. I just wanted to ask before we actually moved away, or if just in case we were about to move away, how young were you when you started to recognise this? Was it is a lot of these, a lot of the emotion attached, kind of looking back and going, um, and seeing the issue now that you're out of it, or what age were you when you kind of went, you know what, I don't like this us and them um, scenario that's being set up. It would be difficult to put a time on it or put an age on it. Um, certainly before I was eight. Wow. Uh, because I saw people coming into that situation that were not as fortunate as me. And, and I really can't say this enough. Drada was an amazing place uh, to grow up because there was no, there was no us and them. Okay, so... Uh, if 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 my my father was flattening stones with the with the thing, even when I was that age, uh, it was just expected. I should probably give that a shot, just like I'd say to my my. I was digging out a deck uh, a few days ago with, with my daughter. She's only six, and I said, "Look, grab that nail bar there, and just you know put it in there. And just take out a few of those nails. You know that is something that you would expect a six year old to to try. Many people who are coming into that school." didn't have that expectation on them. So they were coming in 
with a much more different mindset. And I saw how that mindset wasn't discouraged, really. Um, you know, and I, I always thought that was a little bit, it frustrated me, even at that age. Was it a lonely experience? Um, for the first few years, yes, because I was one of the first cohorts of people uh, to come in at, at such an early age. I was the first year, uh, I was in the first year where myself and, and another uh, child who had other issues as well came in and we were coming into a, an environment where everybody previously had, had come in at ages either seven or eight. Right. But anyway, that's, you know, uh, <laughs> fortunately, that experience hasn't colored my uh, my outlook and my positivity all that much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, shall we have another tune? Absolutely. And again, I haven't decided I'm going to play yet, so you'll see how this goes. Fantastic, Dara. <laughs> what what were those? <laughs> At some point, you're going to stop asking me that question. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no a couple of jigs. A couple of jigs. Uh, one is a march, I think, that's been converted to a jig, and I just can't think of the name of it. But uh, yeah, right. They are great tunes. Right. But, okay. Uh, yeah. Considering again, as I said, I I don't even know what I'm going to play before I start playing it. Uh, it's a testament to my disorganisation more than anything else. Well, you don't hang about though. You just you just you just dive straight in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fluff it until it works. <laughs> Fantastic. So, what what was your then? Um, I mean, you'll be familiar with our kind of pattern by now. But like, I, I'm really interested about what, what your exposure was to music, um, particularly if you're away from home for long periods when you're a youngster, right? 
Yeah, so one good thing I had when I was young was I met some really brilliant people at a very early age. I remember one evening, I don't know even what I was doing, I was walking somewhere um, and I happened to come across people much older than me, obviously, playing music and I just thought, wow, this is this is cool. I loved the, they were all playing together and it was just, there was a big kind of cacophony of sound and and notes and it was just great i really enjoyed it i had been playing before that age uh the whistle from you know my, my father started started me off and then other people kind of kept it going but i heard the pipes at that point and i went that's that instrument is amazing the whole sound of the drones going the regulators going the chanter and after the music was was finished i got talking to the player and I said, can I, can I learn those? I was tiny. Like at seven years old, I could still basically uh, duck down a bit and walk under the table. That's how small I was. And he, and he said, no, you can't play. I'm sorry. Not yet. You, uh, you're just way too small to strap on a set of pipes. And uh, that person that I spoke to was Mick O'Brien, the infamous piper from Dublin, from a great family of musicians. Uh, of course, I didn't know who I was speaking to at that point, you know, but so I kept at him uh, throughout the course of the evening. I, I kept at him, and and then I uh, I asked people to get in contact with him for me. And over a few weeks and so on, um, it it just kind of worked out. He he relented. So uh, I got a practice set. I got a longer practice set when I was around seven or eight, and started. Then it was an Alan Fremont practice set, which was just lovely. I I love the sound of that chanter. Um. And then I started with that. And my, my father then started to play a little bit. He got a set um, from a, a local player called Claude McDuff. Uh, and I borrowed his set because I needed a set of drones for competitions and so on. And I never gave them back. <laughs> uh, and then from there, I got a, he, for my, I think my 15th birthday, my father got me a full set from Alan Tremont. And I played those up until about two years ago. Mm -hmm. And they're still sitting in the case in front of me there. But yeah, so it, it, just, it just took off in that one moment. I, I listened to, to Mick playing and then I listened to, you know, the, the usual culprits like Limo Flynn and, um, you know, Leo Rosen and Seamus Ennis. And uh, I love Davies Blan. I, I, you know, people would would nearly frown on that uh, in the circles that I was playing in at the time. Uh, but I love Davies Bland's fluidity, his energy in his playing, mm -hmm. the brightness of his chanter. Uh, and brightness is kind of the, the kind of buzz off the, off the chanter. It would be, it would be another way of putting it, you know, um, for example, right, this is, uh, that's quite a mellow sound. It's an A. This would be a brighter sound. Also an A. I'm, I'm using regulators to illustrate the, you know. So Davies Bland's chanters were much more bright than were common at that time. And I know you're only talking in the late '80s, early '90s, Aye. but still, you know, it had changed quite a bit. So just listening to those players, you know, that's where I got started. And was that was that when he was playing with Moving Hearts and? At that stage, actually, I think he was releasing his his solo stuff. Right. Yeah. 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 It would have been after that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the Davies Bland band so leaving uh leaving lucy not Lu leaving lucy yeah was it wasn't leaving lucy uh shadow hunter you know loads of other stuff like that it was just 
all all of his his solo stuff. Um, there used to be a, a, a the sound shop used to have a, a shop on the tonsil there near the tonsil on West Street, and I used to go down there as as regularly as I could, and I'd pick up different tapes. Um, even the the Christy Moore stuff where the pipes were featured, I I just li- used to listen to those nearly religiously. Yeah, I re- I remember the first time I heard. I think didn't um didn't he play pipes on a version of Right On that Mary Coughlin sang? Yeah, yeah, that, that was that was amazing. I remember hearing that and thinking, "This is mad!" Like, and that's a good way of putting it. It just was mad like, <laughs> when you listen to the instrumental that he did at the at the end there. Aye, wow, it just goes everywhere. <laughs> um, so, so I mean, so how did it fit into your sort of routine though? Because you're so you're moving back and forth um, every weekend between between school and home. Were you, you were you only able to play at the weekends then when you get home? No, no, I'd, I'd bring the pipes around with me in a, a kind of a converted accordion case. Right. So uh, my, my uncle is an upholsterer and he filled out the case with a bit of foam and material and so on and made it secure. And I would just carry that on and off a bus um, each time I went up and out the Dublin. Right. And and it sounds like your 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 dad was uh, very, <laughs> no pun intended, instrumental in your in your development though, right? <laughs> In terms of yeah, steering absolutely. you, or seeing seeing absolutely. that you had a gift yeah. and seeing that you had a love for something, and really, yeah, and and he's always pushing me to do new things. Like he sent me a video last night of a group uh, singing with um, kind of a, an Enya esque style singer from the Middle East, and he thought this would be cool. I'm going to send this to Dara. So he's still sending me in different directions and still getting me to listen to stuff that would be interesting or, or unique. Uh, he he is musical. He he doesn't play because he doesn't really have the time he keeps himself very busy but unfortunately he doesn't play if he did play uh we'd all be at risk of of developing some kind of new genre because god knows what he'd think of (laughs) would he he be somebody who would listen to anything that came along then is that the no not anything that came along he would have specific tastes now those tastes can change um which i think is is a good thing you know it's people's tastes evolve and so on so it's not a case if he'd listen to anything, but he would give he, he would he would have ideas and those ideas would would dictate what what direction he was going to look at or listening next. Yeah, what what are the kinds of things that you remember him loving? So I suppose I or your mum for that matter. Right? The, uh, yeah, my my mother wouldn't. She would kind of just put the radio on just to have a, something on the background, but she wouldn't actively listen as much. As as he would, I suppose the the stuff that I would have heard early on would have been early Christy Moore, uh, those tapes, um, a lot of records from from different groups. To be honest, I can't remember. Uh-huh. It's funny though, even just the mention of those Christy Moore tapes conjures up very distinct pictures in my head of my own cassettes. You know what I mean? <laughs> that long vanished, mostly yeah, long vanished medium. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I still have quite a few of them here. A lot of chieftains as well, actually. Chieftains was a was a favorite. I think one of the reasons why uh, he he liked and so many people liked the chieftains was because of their encouragement for diversification. They they were constantly bringing new instruments in, new genres in, and mixing them all in. Uh, you know, for these medleys of of songs and tunes. Yeah, it's it's something that I've always wondered about the chieftains. I don't know if you can shed any light on this. 
I mean, maybe it's just a personal thing on my part, but, you know, when I listen to their recorded material, particularly their early albums, um, I, I never really loved it, to be honest with you. But when I went to see them live, I was blown away. And I, and I felt like, I mean, this is ridiculous, obviously, because we're talking about the Chieftains, but I'm going to say it anyway. I felt like something was always kind of missing for me from, from their recordings. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you on that too. I I completely get that. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I I kind of I like the diversity of their recordings, and it's always it's always hard to get the traditional musicals for for dancing. You know, it's very hard to get spontaneity and energy into a recording. Aye. Um, a, a lot of groups now create that spontaneity and that energy using really strong backing you know, really strong guitar stuff. And I, I love that. Uh, going back to what I mentioned earlier, uh, Quinnis, Quinner's uh, Quintet, for example, um, Railta, um, even in Stockton's Wing a few years ago as well, they had strong backers, strong baron, strong guitar. But when you don't have that, which they didn't really at the time, yeah. the, the tradition hadn't evolved in that direction, it is quite hard to create that energy and that spontaneity. Uh, that you would get in a live performance, so it doesn't doesn't surprise me. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's the first time I've slagged off the chieftains in in the forty four episodes so far. So, <laughs> yeah. remember when I said we used to have a thousand? Listeners? <laughs> There's no no holy cows in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Derek, so you um, did, were your grandparents um, did they play as well? I think I read this somewhere. I, I don't know where. Yeah, so they they did. Both both of my grandparents were very very busy people, you know. Either, I suppose you know, forties, fifties, sixties, and so on. That time wasn't very affluent in Ireland, so they were spending their time more so on keeping food on the table and and you know all that kind of stuff more so than playing. And my grandmother, in particular, on my father's side, was very uh, socially active in terms of social justice, uh, equal rights, and really campaigning for people that are were less fortunate so her focus in life wasn't necessarily music it was that kind of constant campaigning uh, and constant activism so music wasn't in the front of their lives but it's it's really interesting it's really kind of it's funny in a way my grandfather is now 91 and my daughter went down to him about a month ago with a keyboard big keyboard uh, difficult to transport, but she wanted to play June for him, so we did. And he heard the tune, and he said, "Here, can I have a go with that?" And he started playing a tune back to her. So he did play, just not to the same extent that we would now consider a musician to be playing before they're, you know, considered a musician. He'd probably pick up pick up an accordion every ten years or something. But it's funny; he still has it in the fingers. You know, he's obviously the fingers aren't moving as fast as they were, but he still could pick out a tune. He could still. And he still sings, you know, I go, I go down to him um, for the, the normal holidays of Christmas and Easter and all that kind of stuff. And each time for those holidays, I'd, I'd bring the pipes and a few whistles and stuff. And we'd always, you know, share some music. Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't the same kind of thing where they, where they would have the time or the energy or the capacity to really get into music at, to, that, to the same level that we can enjoy now, I think. Yeah, that's a lovely image of your daughter and your, your, your granddad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he he loves to stay up to date with with them, especially when it comes to music and and all that kind of stuff. He he sees the the value in it. Um, my 
Well, just to add as well, though, uh, there's a place near Drada, near uh, near um, Term Trekking called Cartan. And I have a picture of, from 1927 of my grandmother's family sitting on a wall there playing instruments. So it does go back. Yeah, all right. How, mu- how much do you know about your grandmother's activism then? Quite a bit. Uh-huh. What, what were the what were the kinds of things that, that were occupying her? Oh God, there's there's so many. Um, when when she was alive, she wouldn't let us explain them all because uh, she didn't want to be taking credit and she didn't want to be seen, having the notoriety. Of right. She wanted to work away in the background. But for example, uh, she was fundamental in the setting up or the establishment of the women's refuge here. Um, the Mary's Hospital, the old old folks hospital there, she was part of. And, and helped to establish the committee there, the, the Friends of St. Mary's. She was fundamental in the retention of the Cottage Hospital and that saved the Cottage Hospital group. Um, they, there are just so many causes, uh, senior citizens related, um, equality, you know, anything and everything that, that she could get her hands into, uh, she did. I would be here for a very long time explaining them all. Right, right. And that was all around Drogheda? Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I mean, and that picture is um, that picture you describe of her and her family uh, with the instruments is just um, for some reason it's. Re- I mean, I've never seen it, but it's totally vivid in my imagination. You know. Well, I'll I'll send you a picture of it because it is it's it's nice to know that you know you have those those pictures from you know and they're not great quality obviously but from nearly a hundred years ago where people are still you know playing fiddles and playing whistles and flutes and so on. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. great. Please do share that. I'd love, love to see it. Uh, do you think we could have another another tune? Sure.
That were great. There are. Do you know the names of those ones? Not a clue. <laughs> that first one is so haunting, gorgeous. Someone please tell us what the name of that tune was, <laughs> so I can go and check it out. So, uh, music at the gate, Dara. Can you t- tell us about that? That's been a huge thing in in Drogheda and uh, and probably taken up a lot of time in the last few years of your life. Can you tell us about what? What is the gate, by the way? What is the gate? The gate is Lander's Gate. It's a a barbican built in Drogheda around twelve forty, around that kind of time, and it was it was a gate, one of the main gates in Drogheda. Uh, obviously, Drogheda was a walled city, a walled town at that time. So, music at the gate, right? It started. I came back from the FLA in two thousand and seventeen. Yeah, seventeen, and. The gate had just been closed to traffic. Lawrence's gate, had, or sorry, to be formal about it, Lawrence's gate <laughs> was just closed to traffic. And uh, I sat, I walked, I was bringing the dog for a walk as I, as I commonly did when I had the dog. And uh, I was bringing him for a walk and I thought, it, this is class, I, I kind of like just being able to walk underneath this, this structure. Now, I hope it doesn't just get forgotten and neglected and just, you know, used as a, you know, dumping ground or something. So uh, I picked up the phone and I called my wife and I said, look, would you mind bringing the pipes down on a stool? She said, what are you at now? What What's going to happen this time? <laughs> so uh, she got the, the stool, got the pipes and said, I'm not staying here while you play that tune. Good luck. <laughs> but uh, a photographer in the area, um, just passing by, I think, just took a few pictures because uh, he thought it looked kind of interesting and, and different. And those pictures went online and people started asking loads of questions. And I thought, well, you know what, let's actually, let's use this amazing structure that we have right in the heart of Drogheda and hold some concerts there. My original idea was, let's use it as an art space, not just for music, but for visual art as well, or performance art or something, you know, let's just use the space. And I put it out, it was a Thursday evening, and I put out the general thing on Facebook, you know, if we have artists and people who want to come down, please come on down. Well, I was, the, the phone was hopping off the hook. I went down to Carlo that evening because I went to meet, meet a friend and we didn't get much talk, time for talking or playing music that, that evening because the phone just didn't stop. And uh, next day I had LMFM, the local radio station, and the Drawed Independent and I had um, different people contacting me from different media places and um Damien Mully, who's really uh, active on the online in the online scene in Ireland, and Dara Doyle uh, helped me out, and they got the word out too. And suddenly, this thing kind of grew into something that could be kind of interesting. So, on the Saturday morning, there was, I think, about there was over twenty musicians, twenty twenty five musicians and singers, and we only had about fifteen people in the in the crowd at the start. And I thought, okay, well, look, musicians are having a good time, so that's grand. But it steadily grew that day into about 40 people. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do this again. Because my thinking at the time was, well, if you've 35 musicians and 40 people enjoying themselves on a Saturday, that's a success. Mm-hmm. So I ran it again the, the month after. Uh, first Saturday of the month from half 11 in the morning until 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And the format is you just come and you play. And if there's a gap in the tunes or the music, you just come and you say, hey, I want to sing a song. Or I want to play a tune. I want to tell a story. And that was the second month, and it continued like that. And then the third month, it got a bit bigger, and suddenly there was a few hundred people in the audience, and those musicians coming from Monaghan and Carlo and Limerick and Clare and Dublin. And, wow. oh, God, I need to organize this a little bit better. So then we got a stage, 
and uh, we 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 got a we got the, the 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 gate there was never built as a performance space, so the road is all it kind of balloons up in certain areas and it goes into a dip in other areas. So we got a stage custom made, you know, as you do. And uh, that stage was perfect for dancers, and we got a local dance school called Nicara Ovalon involved. And well, mm. we didn't get them involved. They asked, could they be involved? And they've been amazing. They've been amazing friends since that. I, I'm so fortunate to know those people. And uh, they came down and they bought, you know, twenty odd music, uh, dancers down, and they just danced their hearts out for you know three hours. It was just amazing uh, on this custom built stage because when the stage was, was made, I, I you know the person who was making uh, who is actually my father as well? Because wow. uh, he, he made a stage because he woodwork was was what he kind of trained in um, originally. So he's a master craftsman. He he made a stage uh, for river dance uh, coming to to uh, at one point. Your dad? Yeah, yeah. He made this for Gene Butler um, of River Dance. They oh. were playing. In one of the local, or they were performing in one of the local places. There used to be a festival called Bruna Bonya. I remember. Uh, in Drada. Yeah, and he made the stage for that and kind of wanted to do it again, I think. You know, he wouldn't tell me that he wanted to do it again, but he, he wanted to do it again. And, uh, and it just turned out incredibly well. The dancers loved it. It was those lovely firmness in the stage, a bit of bounce room as well. And it was really level and they just, they thought it was great. So, it's funny, Darren, you mentioned that. Good. So you mentioned the stage. I, I'd read about the stage. You had a stage, and I, I'm sure we'll get there to what happened in the 2019 or 2018 flat. Yeah. But I, I'd, I'd read there was a stage. I'd never, I'd never taken a second to realize that that stage was a bespoke stage built for the lay of the land that lies on the St. Lawrence's Gate. That's that's crazy. Yeah. yeah I, I tried to keep all of that kind of stuff quiet as well because I just want people to be aware of the the complexities of it. I had looked at companies, you know, from the north to the south of the country. And although some of them could provide a stage for me that would, would be, you know, customizable on the day, they wanted a, an awful lot of money to do it. And obviously, I was running this on a, on a shoestring. I was, I was financing it myself um, mm-hmm. completely for most of the events. So um, I didn't have that kind of money to, to spend on a stage every every Saturday. So, yeah, it was just built... Um, but it was built properly and it was properly insured and properly done, you know. Uh, so because it was so well built and so nicely done, we got more dance schools because they all heard how good it was. So then it, it kind of turned into two performances on the one day. The public performance where people could just join in at any stage. And then the evening performance where there would be a group taken from different parts of the country. And we had groups from Carlo and uh Limerick and again, again and Ennis and Cork um, and Dublin and we had one from uh, Belfast as well and that happened from 7.30 to 9.30 and I think the best one we did, did was in September 2018 we did one from 7 to 9.30 and the sound shop in Drogheda uh, gave me the use of really cool lights and a lighting control system on for the evening and Owen Darcy, who's from one of the core people that ha- has helped me run this every time, he had a great time just messing with the lights for the whole evening and did a, an amazing light show because that's, that's what he loves to do as, as well as, as theatre-based lighting. So we had a great light show all the way up Larnes' Gate for the evening as well. It was just, it has been such a pleasure to do it. And, and when all of this quarantine stuff is over, 
this year, I am really looking forward to doing it again, doing it again because I think people in Drada and people in the northeast are going to need that kind of uh, opportunity to blow off some steam. Completely, and I, th- I think the other side of it too is something which I was uh, I was lucky enough to twig when I was in Drada last year for the flat, and like I, I was there in the second year of it, and. I'm sure this happens in every town that happens is but i was watching my nieces and nephews and all the rest of the kids who were either had just joined <clears throat> excuse me had just joined dance schools or had got their first instrument and i'm thinking like this is brilliant two and three years from now you're going to have a whole new set of dancers and hundreds of new players are all going to want an opportunity to actually do something with this like they're all locked in there they're probably playing away to their heart's content to have something to look forward to going and do at the end of the summer or during the summer brilliant good on you there uh, it's it's a it's a pleasure to one of the one of the reasons that i love doing it so much is actually the kids as well because and again it's it stems from from a bit of selfishness i really want my own daughter and my own son who's, who's at the time of running this was only two and three and four um i really want them to have the same opportunities for exploring and learning and enjoying music uh, that i had and I think the best way to do that would be to promote music in the local area. And Music at the Gate really did that. It built up a community around traditional music that was outside any particular group. Mm, I definitely have to agree with the knowing and, and hearing about the community aspect of it. I know hearing from my own family and friends about just how, and I use the word nice in the nicest sense, how nice it was when it was on. It was just a great, fantastic, family-orientated atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to do it again this year. I was going to ask you, you know, Dara, like, are you, so having the idea um, is one thing, but following it through in that, like, really quick time frame is another. Have you always been that sort of, like, I've got an idea, I'm going to do it, it's happening tomorrow kind of thing? Yes. (laughs) Yes, my employer hates that. (laughs) (laughs) Because when I have an idea, that, like, I, you know, I, I'm kind of, I'm flexible with work in terms of, you know, I'm doing this podcast during the day and, but equally, I'm, I, you know, I, if I have an idea or if I'm working on something, I'm happy to work on it really late at night and, until it's done. Cause I, I do it again. It's all, it's not all selfless for, I kind of do it for selfish reasons. I love the, the, the buzz out of something working, you know, QLFM works, don't know how it works, but it works. Music at the gate works. Stuff that I do in, in work, you know, works. I, I, I get a, a buzz out of it just as much as people get a buzz out of going to it or using it or, or seeing it yeah i understand that i can see that and i'm sure that's why you did this podcast yeah you know it's because you know people are enjoying it and you get a buzz out of that you know it's actually that it's the stuff that it's that kind of stuff once it's hitting that nerve for me anyway once it's hitting the that selfish nerve for me that's that's the best stuff that's the yeah. stuff that resonates with everyone really it's the stuff that if you're doing it for yourself and you're really enjoying it. There's going to be other people that enjoy it. it when you, when it's when there's an honesty behind it, then it's honest work. Yeah, exactly. Um, how are we going for time? I, I don't. I know you're doing a um, a live lunchtime um, live feed on a couple of socials this week, so I don't want to keep you from that. But I I have about I have about fifteen twenty minutes. So you're okay. So just on that, because I think this episode will be out in in time for people to see and, and join in, I think, if it's still going on. So can you just tell me a little bit about what it is? What this is, is 
again, <laughs> there's two there's two parts to it. There's a selfish part as well. Uh, I I need to play more, and when we're when we're not playing in gigs and so on, you know, you don't have that kind of incentive to play. So I, I wanted to play more, and also. I'm very aware that we all do it. You know, we finish lunch or we finish something and we just scroll around Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever you're having. No. <laughs> and it can be really, it can be really negative, you know, and it can be really um, exhausting, tiring. What I wanted to do was find a time during the day where people might want, might be kind of predisposed to that kind of scrolling and give them something else to do, you know, and that's just watching me make up what I'm going to play for half an hour. Uh, you know, so so it keeps me playing, uh, gives me something to do, breaks up my day and breaks up people's days as well. So like the, the numbers aren't staggering. There are about 30 to 40 people watching each day and and there's a, a dozen or so shares and, and, you know, a nice amount of comments and stuff. So what is it, what is it, Dara? Is it a, is it a live stream? Yeah, it's a live stream using uh, Facebook. I tell you what though, I have to commend you on your fidelity. Like you sound... Great. I've been, I think the last three nights been watching it. Oh, sorry, it's, I say nights because I'm in Australia. It's night for you, yeah. And it's, um, it, you sound great. And I think, uh, unfortunately, that's what a lot of people have, they've skipped that step when doing, like, it's great seeing people jump on there, but if they're just recording with their laptop microphone, it doesn't sound that good. You sound really, really good. I've So part of the reason why I am sounding good is because of Kyol FM. What I want to do is help groups and musicians and sessions and festivals get out there more and in, in a more professional way. So my, my vision for this was in March, but it just didn't happen, was to go down to the Kilkenny Tradfest. Uh, I had their permission to go and live broadcast some of their sessions and their workshops and their performances. And I was going to do it. If you look at my, my live v- v- feeds, they're not just one camera, they're multi-camera setups where I you know I have callaways and I have different angles and I've I've frame and frame and all of that kind of stuff so it's a professional setup that's portable so I I want to highlight that this stuff is possible and that I have the technical know-how and the technical equipment to to do it uh, for QL FM as well as for myself as well yeah I I noticed on your um is it on your website or on digital Dara that you've got um no, sorry, it's in Kyol FM. Um, the I think there's only two episodes in there, but you just you, you spent a bit of time trying to capture different sessions, one in Ackle and one maybe in Dublin. Yeah, the, so Ackle and and uh, Dublin. Yeah, you're right. So that was just audio. Uh, what I'm what I'm going for because everybody is you know is audio visual visual really. Uh, I'm trying to incorporate the visual in that as well. And obviously because I can't see what I'm doing, I'm using uh, mobile technology um, so for example the the iphone and the reason why i do that is because the iphone in particular has apps in it in fact the standard camera app if i point the iphone at somebody and i have the speech system turned on it will actually tell me you know one face top left or middle or top right or bottom left or no faces so i can i, I can kind of line up my shots and then i have a, an 18 millimeter lens as well so that i can get even more into the shot so it's really hard for me to make a mess of it. Great, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I use mobile technology one because it's it's accessible and it's it's reasonably priced, uh, and also it's portable and you know battery life is good and connectivity is good and you know. I'll keep an eye out for that. It sounds exciting. Should be. Yeah. So 
I suppose, Dara, where do um, where do people go to to follow you to watch these things to see what's happening at Music at the Gate to Kyol FM? Where should everyone go? So each site is linked to it to itself. So if you go to any of the sites uh, that I'm about to mention, you'll find one of them. So www's the start of each one, uh, and they're all IE, except actually, no, they're not. So www.darapipes.ie, that's www.daragh.pipes.ie, www.musicatthegate.ie, that's www.musicatthegate.ie, and www.keol.fm, www.keol.fm. Brilliant, and I will uh, make sure I put all that uh, in the show notes. And Dara, I'm gonna I'm gonna chase you for that photo as well. I think I'd love to see that. Yeah, uh, I will certainly. I'll put that up with the episode if I can. Listen, thank you so much for your time today. I'll uh, I'll look forward to now watching you in in ten minutes time play a set. But uh, if if we could be cheeky and ask you for one more. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, can yeah. You're a legend, Dara. This is brilliant. This has been brilliant. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you for asking. Right, what will I play? <laughs> Funny.
Oh, the pipes, Dom. The pipes. I think, uh, uh, you know, with my vast knowledge of our, our episodes to date, I would say I think that is the first time that we've had somebody go from a jig into a reel in the one set. I definitely so, heard that. So that's great. And that was careering set. That was brilliant. Hell of a player. And just what he's uh, what he's done for Drogheda, I, I, I'd heard about Dara long before. Oh, Long before I knew I was going to um, to be back in Drogheda during the Fly in 2019, and like, there's plenty of videos on of him online. And when I started kind of sniffing around about who he is and would he have a chat, like, no, people just couldn't say enough about him and, and what he he'd done for the town and what he has done for the profile of music within within the town. So yeah, I think it's a uh, it's easy to go to need to know who you're talking to, listening to that interview. That 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 is who he is. And I, I, I think. It's very striking to me that there are a lot of people who we've spoken to over the course of the podcast who, there are a lot of people who we've spoken to over the course of the last year who see something in their community that they want to have happen and they just go and do it. You know what I mean? I mean, I was I was sort of asking Dara about that a wee bit. Hmm. And... I guess it's because I'm because I'm less of a doer than than I think a lot of people are. I, I'm just very taken with it, the just you see something that needs doing and you don't wait for somebody else to do it. You have an idea, you go for it, and you make it happen, and that it is does. pretty brilliant. Yeah, I read something on I forget where I was during the week, but it was someone asking about should they pick up a an instrument, and they're older in age, and someone just said, look. 10 years are going to pass whether you're playing it or not so just start playing yeah I, it's, I love that it's like just do do the thing like what's the worst that's going to happen you've heard me play Darren <laughs> well it's it's hard I can't let, see when I laugh now and you can't see me it's it's far more sinister <laughs> it's cruel is what it is you're a cruel it man it's been said before <laughs> so the one other thing I wanted to reflect on between last week and this was, and I, and I know this isn't an Irish thing, but um, John Prine died last week, and uh, I I was just so I I know that it's strange to say that you're sort of heartbroken when somebody dies who you never knew personally, but I felt genuinely heartbroken at his right. at his death. It just some something to do with the heart in his songs and the heart in his music and the persona that he has of just a very generous very very generous guy and a very generous personality and also just because his music and his songs have been part of the landscape of a lot of my friendships over the years and uh yeah, so he was due to be here pretty soon again, wasn't he? Well, he was supposed to be here for Byron Bay, um, just mm, around now. This, yeah. yeah, so um, and yeah, I don't have anything profound to offer other than just this feeling of sadness. You know what? It's, it's similar to, although it's more acute for me, but it's similar to the sadness I had when Liam Flynn died. Yeah, right. And Seamus Heaney as well. When Seamus Heaney died, so uh, these these 
distant figures who are luminaries in their field and I haven't figured out how to express that kind of sadness that isn't someone from your family but yet the their presence is really wound around your heart somehow so anyway yeah I remember uh, when, when Bowie died I think a couple of weeks ago when we had the chat I, I mentioned the how intense I was about Bowie for yeah. since I was like fifteen, and when that like I just that 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 day like just I remember like driving when a friend texts me, and just that just numb numb and you you don't you don't know how to process it because you don't know the person that's the that's the hard bit you, you can't reconcile it because you can't even reconcile your um your respect or your love or what they truly mean because for all intents and purposes this person doesn't exist it's just a, an idea of someone or something that's now gone that's true that's true that's true it's the the image that you hold of them that you've constructed of them completely i suppose on a very profound level that's that's where everyone is that's what every relationship is isn't it i suppose Yeah. Deep man. Yeah. Anyway. Well that's Dominic for you. I, I did <laughs> I did sit down uh last Thursday Wednesday night, was it? Last Wednesday night and I I sang a couple of songs to myself. I was feeling it very keenly because I if I'd been in Seattle I would have phoned up my pals and we would have gone round to somebody's house and had a few beers and and had a laugh and played some songs and I, I just I guess thinking back to talking about isolation, that's a moment where I felt it was last Wednesday. Mm. I felt it like where I was sort of a brim with emotion and I was sitting on my own playing a guitar and singing to myself and drinking a beer and trying to do that thing of here's to here's to you, friends, here's to you, Johnny Prine, you know. But it wasn't really working. <laughs> it's it's akin it's that like I, I don't know if you I'm sure you went through it, but like that homesickness for your old mates that you get well, yeah you maybe used to get when you move somewhere new and you when the option to have that kind of close um what's that close it's close friendship or close um what's the word comradeship yeah like you don't even really need to like let's say if you were to meet one of your mates that you um, used to sing John Prime songs with, you don't necessarily even need to talk about John Prime or music, but just being in the presence of that person helps that heal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, um, yeah. imagine you had a mate that lived down the road and you could just pop down and see him. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> That'll never happen. No. So, right, well, look, we've flogged that horse. We have, and uh, I think we should move on. So I'll just say thanks again to Daryl Haley. Thank you. And uh, thank you to um, the people that have been sending us in messages via their website or Facebook or on Instagram. Um, thanks so much for uh, those emails. We really do appreciate them. Um, actually, while I mentioned, um, while I mentioned 
Instagram, just wanted to say again, we do have an Instagram account, Blarney Pilgrims Podcast on Instagram, and we try and put up a photo a week of the interviewee or something that we're doing to kind of keep it relevant and if there's any extra kind of stuff that happens around there if we're in the presence of that player we're trying to get a little video so it's worth uh, following us over there and i do have one other thing which i'd like to put out there this is a way way tucked at the end of this episode and i'm going to mention it in our next episode at the front because it's, it's an exciting one i know everyone has a lot of downtime and i was wondering could someone out there or a few people out there do myself and tom a favor we don't really know how to set up a wiki and we i would love for the blarney pilgrims to be on wikipedia it kind of makes us feel like we're a real thing if you are someone that knows how to do that where either flick us a note and because i looked into it and like you need to have edited for so long and be an accredited wikipedia um, contributor i'm not that dom's not that if you are that if you would start a Blarney Pilgrims page, that would be sensational. It would be so, so helpful and really help us with the old um, Google um, search engine optimization and all that kind of stuff that you probably know more about than than we do. Yeah, otherwise we'll end up having to do it ourselves like uh, Jeffrey Archer or somebody who wrote their own Wikipedia page um, full of laudatory comments. <laughs> well, we that's far, that. far, far, far beyond this. We would never compliment ourselves on anything. So you should know by now. <laughs> yeah, I'll do yours, you do mine. Yeah, all right. So with all that, right. thanks again, Dara. And uh, thank you all for listening. And see you next week. Cheers. Good luck. Hi, my name is Pietro. Please become a good subscriber to the podcast. Thank you.